another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream and you can holler. Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and the changing times and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't dictate it a little bit differently today and I bet you can already tell that the audio quality is a little bit different. Instead of cruising down the road at 70 miles an hour in my mobile studio, my Jetta TDI, uh, I am at my home office today. And because I'm at my home office today, it gives me a chance to do something I really enjoyed the last couple times I did it, listener call-in shows. I'm going to try to do more and more of these. So as you know, we have a phone number that you can call in with your questions, comments, suggestions, whatever you like. And uh, if they fit, if there's something I can respond to, or they just fit a show, or uh, they're just a good uh, comment that we can use on the air, I'll use them on the air. Uh, I have about 20 queued up. I'm going to probably do four or five today. So if you've called in, uh, we'll get to you. And I'll try to do these more and more and more. What happens is I get a chance to do one. I only have two or three available. It's not enough. So I just do a normal show. And then by the time I get another chance to do it, I have this big pile. So we're going to work through these. Maybe I'll do one this weekend and preload it for next week because uh, I really like doing these. I like getting your feedback. Before we start taking the calls, though, there's a few things, little house cleaning things I want to do here at the beginning. Uh, number one, again, Member Support Brigade is open again. Uh, it's open to everybody now, and that is a way that you can support the show. I do want to make sure that you understand, if you serve, sign up at the like $5 a month level, well, that means that you know if you set up uh, your PayPal account to, to contribute to us at that level when you when you make your payment, then every month until you choose to cancel, you're going to continue to get 5 bucks a month uh, to the show to, to help support us. I want to make sure people understand it's recurring, and uh, if you do a year, it's $50 a year, so you save 10 bucks. I also set up a way for people who want to pay by cash. Uh, people that pay by cash can either pay for one year or you can pay for three years. And uh, why three years? Because I gave such a huge discount, two years didn't make any sense. So uh, you can get information at the site. Now, before you pay by cash, make sure you read this, the little disclaimers that we have there about how long it might take us to set up your account. Because it has to be done completely manually, which is why I didn't do it at first. Uh, but Member Support Brigade is going to turn into a thing that on the show it's mentioned for 30 seconds at the end or something. And I'm not going to be explaining it this in depth uh, in the future because I don't want it to become part of the show. I just want it to be a way that people that want to help can help. But since it's new, I'm explaining things uh, as, as we kind of launch it here officially. And what it does, it gives you a way to support the show. The way I came out with the $5 price point is that it comes out to about a quarter a show. So if you think our content is worth a quarter a show, you might want to consider joining. And additionally, we're putting other things back there, like instructional videos and things like that. Somebody even asked about one, and I'll answer that when we go to the call. And so that's available right-hand side of the survivalpodcast.com. You'll see Join the Member Support Brigade in a red link. I can't make it any more prominent than that for right now. We're going to have a cool banner and everything in the future. and A lot of cool stuff's coming, but that's that's that for now. The other thing I want to talk about real quick is last night, our beloved leader, uh, Barack Obama, was on the uh, Jay Leno show, Tonight Show, and I was flipping through the channels. My wife said, no, I want to hear what he has to say for a minute. So it came on, and I left it on against my better judgment because I didn't want to be angry at 11 o'clock at night, but my wife asked, so being a good husband, I did it. And Jay actually asked the one question I think might have been a tough question as soon as I stopped. And it was, you know, you guys are talking about this special tax at 90% to penalize these guys and take the money back. And while I'm forgetting the money back from these guys and not letting them have it, this is a little bit scary that you guys would make a tax just to 
you know, punish one person, that's even a little bit frightening to me, which was like, wow, Jay Leno asked that question? That's huge. Barack says, I have, I do have an answer to that question. Of course, the commercial break comes. So now I sit through, you know, three minutes of commercials to hear an answer. And I want to hear the answer to this. And it comes back on, and you guys can probably find this on YouTube or whatever. But Barack says... You know, what we really need to do is we need to, uh, to to change the way we're doing taxes in the first place so that people like you and I, Jay, that are making, you know, doing really good, pay just a little bit more so that the small guy can pay a little bit less and just make taxes more fair for everybody. Again, will somebody please tell this clown that he's elected, he's the president now, he doesn't have to campaign anymore, and two... You know, Jay Leno then said, oh, okay, and the, all, the, all the drones in the audience clapped and cheered, and they went on to something different. I wish somebody would phone Jay Leno up, if you happen to know the guy, and say, hey, you know what, when somebody doesn't answer your question at all, you don't have to be a hardball interviewer, but just say, hey, that's not what I asked. I'm asking about this 90%. Of course, Leno let that go. So that tells you everything you need to know right there. We're just not going to d- discuss it. Uh, I just wanted to point that out to you folks. I know most of you probably didn't watch Barack Obama on the Jay Leno show last night. That was really uh, that was really kind of thorn in my side. Again, I want to remind everybody that uh, Region 5 is doing a get-together around Memorial Day weekend. I'm going to be there. Uh, we're going to be down around the Gulf Bay, Texas area. More information is available at the forum. Please come on down and see us. This is a free event other than if you want to eat the food that Dan is bringing in, there's a charge for that uh, based on whether you want to eat it once or just twice. Uh, so he's got a little PayPal account set up that you can send him some money if you're going to come. Uh, please come on down to that. If you you know, if you know, are in Pennsylvania and you want to drive all the way down, that's a long drive. I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying if you want to, you're welcome. It's not for Region 5 only. I want to be clear about that. Uh, last, I want to point out that I will be at Dirt Time 09, uh, Wilderness Ways uh, annual big gathering get-together. Now, this isn't a free event. I think it's $175 a head, but it's a week-long workshop. I will be out there teaching about survival gardening alongside about a dozen other instructors, including folks like Ron Hood. Uh, there's information available about that. I'll put it in the show notes as well. So that's the house cleaning. Let's get into today's show. Let's start taking some calls. Uh, so let's just go ahead and take our first call. And uh, I really don't have them queued up other than I filtered them and made sure they all qualify. I'm not even sure which one we're going to take. So uh, let's just take one and we'll go on the fly with them. Hello, Jack. This is Archer on the forum. A question for you. I just listened to episode 148 and you talked about uh, having your points, meeting points, rally points. Would you leave some type of encrypted or message so that you can say, hey, I'm here, I waited six hours for you, not here, I'm going on to the next place, meet you there. Is that a good idea or not? And if so, how'd you uh, encrypt it or hide it in plain sight? Talk to you later. Good job. with your show. Bye. Well, first of all, let me say a great question, Archer, and I would expect nothing else. Archer's one of our moderators, and he's one of our great contributors on the forum, so thanks for all that hard work. Uh, That question, actually the first time I I heard it, I thought you were really talking about uh, the rally points in the documentation when I was just scanning the messages quick and making sure, listening to it more carefully now, I see what you're asking. You're asking, let's say, uh, I took Route uh, 1 on my way out. Of the uh, of the AO uh, to go to bug out location one, and I got to uh, Rally Point Alpha, which is our first rally point where I'm supposed to meet my wife, and my wife doesn't show. And um, eventually, I get to a point where, by our uh, by our procedures, it's time for me to move on. 
and go to Rally Point Bravo and maybe wait again to see if she makes it there. Uh, and to you know, obviously, if we're doing this, it's something where we can't communicate by cell phone or by ham or by CB or whatever. We're unable to communicate. And I'm continuing on the way, and is there any way that we could leave a sign that we've been there and that we're moving on to the next rally point? So when the person comes around behind us, they have more confidence in going forward. And more importantly, they don't hang out at the rally point. They keep heading toward the destination because they know that you've already been there. And I think that's a great idea. And the answer is to how you do that. I think uh, this is off the cuff, folks. I mean, I never really... Uh, considered that, so that's a, that's a great question. But you could easily put together some sort of a durable small sign or a flag, something that would be unique though to you. Uh, maybe something that would be laminated or made out of wood, painted a certain color with a stick that could simply be placed in the ground in the the area of the rally point. There's no guarantee that nobody would mess with it, but it certainly would mean that. If your significant other, if your other group, however, whoever showed up at that rally point, looked to the ground, saw that thing sticking in the ground um, with your signal on it, your symbol, whatever that would be, they would know you were there. I don't think you need more than that. Uh, honestly, you don't need to be saying, like, I was here six hours, uh, for instance, because you should have a standard procedure for that type of evac anyway. When you get to Rally Point Alpha, you wait on the other party no longer than one hour, 60, you know, uh, one hour and a half, two hours, whatever that is, uh, based on the scenario. So everybody should be following a standard operating procedure. If everybody's doing that, uh, then you're more likely to not have to worry about communicating specific details. Uh, one thing I want to point out, this is a very good reason to have more than one method of communication so that you can actually talk to each other on uh, these situations. It'll make it a lot less scary. Uh, but I think it's a great idea, and it's maybe something we need to uh, look at putting together some different ideas for what could be left behind. And specifically, each family having you know some kind of a coat of arms or a specific symbol or a specific... You know, it could be something as easy as stripes and dots or something... Um, Something that no one would understand, no one really needs to comprehend it, other than it means that a Spirico was here and went forward. Great question, great suggestion. I'm going to look into that more. And, you know, my listeners, you guys put together a lot of things, so start thinking about what we could do with that. And uh, let's go ahead and take uh, the next question here. Hi, Jack. This is Mike McNeil from Corny, New York. I've been trying to sign up for the um, uh, forum, but it won't let me. I'm supposed to be getting an activation email. And I never did, so I clicked resend, and it never did. So I was wondering if you can sort this out for me, because I'd like to join, but it won't let me. My email address. Now, you might actually be wondering why I would play that call on the air, because that's just a technical support issue. And obviously, uh, I cut his call off where he started giving away his email address, his personal information that was necessary, uh, and I figured he didn't want that given out. So, But why would I put a call like that on the air? Because it's a common problem, and I wanted an opportunity to explain to people who are trying to join the forum and have had problems with what's going on. If you use Hotmail... If you use Gmail or if you use Yahoo, they have some of the most aggressive spam filtering in the world. You may find your activation email in your trash or your spam, or it may get thrown completely away simply because it's an automated sended email. You're probably dealing with this problem in other situations and in other ways and areas. And what I wanted to do was tell you how 
to solve this problem the easiest and get us to give you a very quick response and get you hooked up and fixed up right away. What you need to do is send me the username that you signed up with, the email address that you signed up with from, and what I will do after receiving that is I will go in and manually activate your account for you. And I will send you a direct email from me simply saying, your account has been set up and here's your, you know, here's your password. I'll reset your password to something simple. You can change it once you log in. Don't call me with it because it's, 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 it's a harder thing to track you down. I'm sending you an email. I don't even know if you're getting it because your spam filter might be just filtering me because my email's not long enough for some other nonsense. Uh, these, these providers, Hotmail, Yahoo, Gmail, are just really over the top with spam filtering. I think Gmail, at least you can control it and throttle it back some. Yahoo is the worst. We have the most unactivated accounts from Yahoo. If you're using Yahoo, Yahoo email, whenever you do anything like this, check your spam filter. But again, email me directly, jack at the survivalpodcast.com, username and email that you used to sign up with. And, um, you know, I'll, I will email you back once I set you up. And it's pretty quick for me if you give me those two pieces of information. If you don't give me those two pieces of information, it is really a problem. What may have happened is one of our moderators may have seen your account linger there and went ahead and deleted it once it didn't get activated because we do that after a while. If you send me those two pieces of information, I can even set your account up for you and I will do it, but I will only do it if I get the email address and username that you think you signed up with. And you'll probably be able to then just know it's going to be all taken care of. We want as many people in the forum as possible. Why do we require the activation email? Because we get about a bazillion spam attempts a week, folks. We get people trying to post porn on our forum. We get people trying to post just bunches of links and, and junk and crap. And we want to keep the forum on target focused. And we don't want spammers and we don't want scum people in our forum ruining it for everybody. Uh, so that is why we do that. You know, we have a lot of ladies on the forum, believe it or not. I don't want them having porn shoved in their face. So that's why we do that. We keep the forum clean. And uh, I'm sorry we have to put you through that additional step. But I'm willing to hook you up as long as you do it by email and you give me those two pieces of information. Let's go ahead and take the next call. Hey, Jack. Mike in Michigan again. Uh, quick question here. I just left the local farmer's market here and it's going to be my first garden this spring. Um, I'm looking to get an early start on some window planting and all that good stuff. Now, my question to you is, as I walked in and started looking at the seed options, I was pretty lost. I'm not sure what type of what type of tomatoes, what type of I'm just looking for good basic seed. And they've got like nine different types of peppers, a bunch of different sweet corns. So I'm just wondering if uh, you got any advice on a good starter garden, uh, what type of seeds to get. Thanks, appreciate it. That's a great question there, Mike, and thanks for the call. Um Let's try to answer that in a, in, a, in a series of ways. Number one, if you're a new gardener, especially when you're dealing with um, with plants like tomatoes and peppers your first season, I honestly would say you're probably better off starting out by buying plants that have been well started and are in good shape. And uh, it can be very inexpensive. I just purchased four pepper plants to uh, to finish off one of my beds with some uh, with some bell peppers and some different colors and varieties because I didn't want to buy seeds for yellow, purple, all the different colors. So I pretty much did all my seed starting for peppers this year with some of the exotic stuff I couldn't find around here. Ah, hey, Dulce and some other uh, some other exotic peppers. 
So, with that in mind, when it came time for Bells, I just went out and bought them. They cost me 88 cents a plant. And if you do that and you buy from a local nursery, one of your problems is going to get taken care of itself. You're going to buy varieties that are good for your area because the local nursery, when they start their seeds and they get plants ready to sell to their customers, they're going to put varieties out there that are good for your area. Peppers and tomatoes grow very, very slowly in the cool springtime. Uh, by the time they're large plants, they actually do very well as the fall comes around before frost hits them. When the frost, frost when the, you know, it's not frosting yet and it's not harming them, but the weather starts to cool at the end of August. That's when they go nuts, and you just have tomatoes and peppers coming out of your ears. Um, but by then, those plants are big and they can handle that cool temperature. It's actually good for them. In the summer, t- or the springtime, when they're little plants trying to grow, what they need is heat. Uh, so you'll do better if you get a well-started plant in your first couple seasons, and it's inexpensive it is, is probably the best bet for those two uh, particular vegetables. As for what to start with, I think that you can probably, in your area in Michigan, in most areas of the United States, any of the beans, be they bush or pole beans, are going to do very well. They're one of the easiest things in the world to grow. Early spring up in Michigan, great time to grow different varieties of snow peas. Specific varieties are not that important. You can pretty much bet that at your local shops, the seeds that they carry are probably pretty good for your area because the seed vendor is going to help the shopkeeper stock the right varieties for the area. So any of them will probably do fairly well for you. The biggest thing to do is look at where you're anytime you're going to start seeds. It doesn't matter if it's spring, summer, going into fall for a fall crop is look at the frost tolerance of the of the the, the seed, the plant, you know, can it tolerate a light frost, can it tolerate a heavy frost, things like that. Look at how long it takes to germinate, look at how long once it germinates it takes to be ready for transplant if you're starting them indoors, or it takes to go from, from being planted to harvest time, and then take the date that you're at today, and this sounds like a lot of math, but it's really not, let's just say it says, from the time you, a corn variety that takes 88 days to be planted in the ground, germinate, and be harvestable. Well, if, if it can't handle frost, which corn usually doesn't handle frost well at all, it pretty much kills it, and uh, you got just rounded off to 90 days, you got three months. If you're sitting on August 1st wondering if you can start that corn, you got August, September, October, you got the end of October, that corn's going to come in. Now, what you got on top of that is it's going to be extremely hot in August, and all, you know, most places, maybe not in Michigan, maybe the end of October, you're already going to have a frost, so it won't work for you. For me down here, that corn's not going to do very well if I started it in August, because it's just the ground's too hot, uh, it's going to take a lot of mulching and a lot of effort, so I would want to plant something else. So looking at those timelines and looking at how your plants will do based on their life stage throughout there, and the best way you can get this information is to go and order all the seed catalogs from all the seed manufacturers, all the seed producers. There's a thread th- a thread forum, a forum thread uh, with about 25 you can order. I'll put a link to you from the show notes on today's show. And if you go through those, those catalogs and you read the different varieties, they'll tell you a lot more information than a little packet of seeds will in the store. So I hope that helps answer your question. And uh, again, my biggest advice Tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, uh, broccoli, cauliflower, any of the stuff that you normally would start the seeds indoors, your first, even maybe your second season, go ahead and rely on uh, people starting plants for you. If you want to start your own seeds, that's fine. Do it too. But maybe go out, if you're going to, let's say you're going to want to grow six tomato plants, 
buy three plants from a local merchant, start three plants yourself, learn the technique, but have a fallback. And you're going to get a more rewarding experience that way, and that's going to keep you encouraged and keep you moving on. You could develop your skill set over time. Hopefully that helps you out. Let's go ahead and take uh, the next call. Hey, Jack. Mike Michigan again. Uh, quick question today about the stock market. I have noticed lately uh, it seems to be every time the stock market takes a dip about two to 300 points, the next day it's always up about 150 to 250 points. And I'll be honest, I really don't know that much about the stock market, but I'm not seeing any indicators that it should be going up that very next day. Is this is this some of the money that uh, the Fed is... Uh, lost and not telling the American people where it is. Are they are they artificially trying to inflate it the day after a decent dip? Because if, if if I'm correct, when it's 50 to 90 points down, nothing happens. But every time it takes a pretty big dip, the next day it's up about you know 150 250 points. Uh, any thoughts on that? You know, would be great. Appreciate it, Jack. Keep up the good work. Well, folks, as you just heard, that was uh, two questions from Mike in Michigan in order in one show. I didn't plan to do them in order, but I did plan to answer both these questions on the show because they're just both such great questions, and I thought a lot of people could benefit from them. And, Mike, no, it's not... This isn't the federal dollars being pumped in at work, at least not directly. Now, can I say that some of the traders aren't operating with uh, credit that they've received from banks who have had infusions of cash? No, I can't say that at all. That's probably, but it's not directly the way you're asking. What you're seeing the market do when you see these big swings, you see the market dive down 400 points, and the next day it rebounds 200, and then it rebounds 100, and then it dives down again, and it's, it's slowly working its way down, and it does that over time and right now what you're seeing is the exact opposite kind of worming its way up all you're seeing is a natural stock trading at work and what i mean by that is if i'm sitting and i'm sitting on cash and i'm deciding you know now is the time for me to start cherry picking stocks and cherry picking maybe some specific funds or something like that i'm an educated investor when i watch that market just slam down 300 points for no good reason other than one of the idiots in the government came out and said something stupid like Barack Obama. And what was driving this, this is an older question, what was driving this when you asked the question was a lot of the stupidity that Barack Obama was saying. Worst financial crisis since the Great Depression. Folks, this is not the worst crisis since the Great Depression. We're, I mean, if you were around in like 74 or 78, you know both of those times were worse. Twelve years ago, unemployment was higher than it is right now. This isn't the worst ever, but when a president says that, people start panicking, People start liquidating. The market dives down. Then the investor sitting on the sideline with capital ready says, opportunity. You've driven the price down. Now I'm going to go in and cherry pick the most solid companies, which are the ones that drive the indexes, right? When you look at the the uh, the Dow, the S&P 500, the, the NASDAQ, things like that, these are the solid core companies. Not all of them, but uh, the majority of them are the solid companies that are not going anywhere. ExxonMobil, not going out of business. I don't care how far you, that stock gets driven down by guilt by association. ExxonMobil is not going out of business, at least not now. So what happens is the market drives is driven down by panic, and then the savvy investors coming in and buying. And as they buy, the demand increases, it drives the price back up. So when you see the market go up, 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 up for a few days during this, this whirlwind of up and down, what's going on there is the really savvy investor, the day trader, and I don't advise taking this approach, I'm just telling you how it works, what these people do. 
they come in and, uh, for instance, I just bought, believe it or not, I bought some Citibank stock. Now, you might be thinking I'm crazy, but I bought like 200 bucks worth of it when it was trading at like a buck 80 or something like that. Well, it was up over $3 on some of the good banking news, so it almost tripled in value. Now, since I bought 180 bucks worth of it, and I'm slowly building this little tiny, you know, almost like a gambling portfolio of stocks like Ford, stocks like Citibank, 100 shares of this, 100 shares of this, all stocks driven under two bucks. Where I, it's risk capital. I want to eventually have about two thousand dollars bought into that, and I'll let it go long term. But if I had gone in as the savvy day trader and said, "Okay, good banking news is going to drive Citibank up," and I went in and I bought twenty thousand shares of it. Uh, at for forty thousand dollars, let's say, if that forty thousand dollars turns into sixty thousand dollars overnight, and I'm a day trader, I'm taking my profits. I have had a fifty percent increase in the value of my portfolio. So the first thing I do when a certain number hits is I dump it. When people start dumping it, then you see it start to come back down. So what you've seen is the market, unless some other major catastrophe comes out, kind of find a floor somewhere between sixty five hundred and. 7500 where it doesn't seem like it's going to go much lower. Now, am I saying that's the bottom? No, and I'm not a financial advisor. I'm just answering your question, telling you how this stuff works. And unless we have some other major catastrophe, it seems like we found a bottom and all this money that the, the you know, the great uh, wizards of Oz up in in DC are pumping into the economy is going to have an effect. Remember I said back this fall before the election even happened, the bailout's coming, it's Bush's bailout, Barack Obama's going to claim credit for it, it probably won't do that much in 2009 except stabilize things a little bit and then it's going to create a huge bubble in 2010 and if we have that bubble, look out when we come down the other side of it, that's where we're going to have the worst financial crisis ever because now we're so leveraged in debt. Now we have all these problems. But short term, I actually expect the economy, at least on paper, to begin to improve in 2010. Uh, I, I don't think we're at the abyss yet with finance. Uh, I'm worried about where we're going next. But that's your answer. That's why it goes up. That's why it goes down. It's not the Fed pumping money in and out of the market trying to inflate it, other than indirectly through the hands of traders. But you see that market go up 500 points in a day, unless there's a stupendous news coming out. You're probably going to see, after a certain sustained rally, a drop, and then a rally, and then a drop, and then a rally, and then a drop. And the same thing when you're having a decline, because it's the same scenario on the way way down, the day trader is picking cherry-picking stocks, he buys a pile of it, the rally comes, he dumps it, and the dump starts liquidation, panic and fear set in, everybody starts liquidating again, that type of thing. Remember, it was never during this decline that I was telling you to bail out of the market unless you just felt you had to. I was telling you to do that back in July and August when I could see the freight train coming. So hopefully that answers your question. Let's go ahead and take one more before we wrap up today's show. Hey, Jack, this is Gator. Um, I got a suggestion for the supporting members for Gade. Um, a video that I would love to see would be um, on reloading. Show me I need to buy this one product, you know, this casing, this bullet, this primer, this powder, and step by step, one at a time. Uh, no, you know, bare bones, just the bare minimum that one needs to purchase to make on a, say, a 45. All right, thanks. Well, Gator, great suggestion, and, and, and the reason I did that is I want people to know more about the Member Support Brigade and, and the, you know, members-only content that's going back there. We are going to do just that. Now, this is probably... That actual video, we're looking about maybe two months out before we get into that, and here's why. 
Um, I'm kind of out of space in my house right now with everything, and I don't uh, do as much reloading as I should anymore. I have all the equipment; it's nicely kept and it's uh, you know put away, and I can pull it out and I can get by with it. But it certainly wouldn't make a good video. So one of the things I thought of just just for myself that I'm going to do this spring with with several construction projects, and one is a solar oven, one is a solar dehydrator, and the third is going to be a collapsible reloading table. Now the reloading process is not that harsh, but there is quite a bit of pressure when you're you know sizing cases and things like that using a press. So you need a really stable table. You know, using one of those little cheap card tables ain't going to cut it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a very easy to break down uh, reloading table. And uh, that's going to be the first video. And then I'm going to do exactly what you just suggested. And I'm going to go through the entire process of reloading. Now, I don't know if I'm going to say buy this bullet, buy this brass, uh, because that is the same whether you're doing a 45, a 9mm, a 223, a 30.06, and your choice of your brand of ammunition or your brand of powder, uh, your brand of bullet, your brand of brass, your brand of primer, uh, that's all individual and you can get that through load data. And I'll, what I'll do on video is explain some of how you make that type of a decision, how you make that kind of a choice, and how you don't always look for, well, what's the powder and uh, primer and combination and load data that'll give me the fastest, hardest hitting round. When you start reloading, what you're looking for is efficiency, economy, and accuracy. And I'll show you how to make some of those decisions. That's something we're definitely going to be going ahead, adding to the member support brigade. It's coming in the future. Great suggestion, and uh, know that it's already sort of in the works. So let's go ahead. I'm going to take one more question before I close today's show. Hi, Jack. This is Steve from Michigan. Uh, love the show. Uh, real good resource. My question was, where do you get your information? It's clear you're current on current events and you're well-read. What would you recommend to your listeners for uh, things to subscribe to, whether it's magazines or podcasts or other sources of information? What, uh, what books might you recommend that we read to stay current as well? Thanks. Well, first of all, Steve, um, let me say thank you. It's it's a pretty big compliment when somebody tells you that uh, you have a lot of information, it's valuable, and they found it to be accurate. And I strive to be as accurate as I can. I always, I always temper the show at the beginning saying it's one man's view of the changing world and changing times. Uh, because it is my opinion to a large degree. Now, when I tell you there's an article that states this... And uh, I believe it to be a factual article. That's a statement of fact. But when I tell you now, I think this about it. That's my opinion. And I always challenge you and encourage you to form your own opinion. So with any information that you're gathering, always put it through your own test. Always put it through your own you know, legitimacy test. And we just had a great example of that yesterday's show when I talked about this H.R. 875, which no doubt is a crappy bill, but has nothing to do with shutting down a home gardener's tomato patch and making them use chemicals. It's just nonsense and sensationalism. So be careful when you get your information. If it doesn't sound right, for when, for, first of all, if you read a blogger's blog and it's talking about a bill, go read the bill. Go read the bill, go get the other side of the story on the bill, and you'll probably find the truth lying somewhere in the middle. You'll see, you know, left wing with one view, right wing with another view, and the truth will probably be somewhere in the middle between the two. And I'm not saying left wing's wrong and right wing is right, or right wing is wrong, or left you know, left wing is right. What you're probably going to find, depending on what your view of the issue is, is one side or the other is going to be closer to the truth. Um, because, you know, the, the right-wing people are saying that this H.R. 875 is nothing new and it's a wonderful thing, and I don't think so. And then the left-wing people are saying this thing is going to put home gardeners out of business. I don't think so either. 
bad bill. So always sort. So that's my first answer. Now, actually answering your real question, which is how do I get my information? Um, I spend all day trying to gather information while I'm doing my job, even. Uh, one of the biggest things you can do is take the issues that are important to you uh, and set up what are called Google Alerts for it. So if you go to Google News or Google Blog Search, you can do this with both. And uh, I think you can do it with Blog Search. I, I pretty much just do it with news. But you can go in and say run a search on Google News for flu pandemic. And on the right-hand side of the screen up near the top, you'll see sort by relevance will probably default. And you'll see a little link next to it. That little link next to it will say sort by date. And that means you're looking at the most current stories in Google News uh, about it. So sort it by date, and then you'll see a thing that says get alerts for this on the page. Click that, enter your email address, and every time there's new stories that show up for flu pandemic or pandemic flu or pandemic or whatever you've searched for, Google will kick a little email out to your email box. And it will just be the search results of the new stories, and you can scan and decide whether you want to read them or not. And then if you're using like Outlook or something like that, you can create a rule and say, throw all of my information from Google Alerts into a Google Alerts folder, and that way you don't feel like you're getting overrun uh, with, with email, and you can sort through it when you find and have the time. The other thing I do is I go to Google Finance once a day, and I just look at the top stories that are coming in on finance. I pay attention to our forum. My listeners bring more information to me than any other source. I listen to people like Glenn Beck. He's usually a day or two behind me, honestly, on a lot of this stuff, and that's probably because he has to have a longer vetting process, and they have shows planned, and they can't. Like, something new comes in, and they can't do it today, where if, if I have a show planned today and something new comes in, I just preempt it and, and just go forward. So that may be sometimes why a guerrilla podcaster like myself can seem like we're more on the ball, more on topic. It's just because we have more flexibility. So it's no disrespect to people like Glenn Beck. Um, other people I listen to, I listen to a guy named J.D. Wells here in the afternoon, local KLIF uh, radio station 570. I like him a lot. Sometimes he hacks me off and I change the channel, but you guys can listen to him if you want to. Just Google KLIF 570 and you can listen online to him. And he's on between like 4 and 7. He's a pretty good dude. Uh, a lot of local stuff there, but you know, I try to bring local stuff in to you know, keep you guys grounded with where I'm at uh, in the world because it makes us more connected. Uh, books, books are good for history. Books are good for analysis. Books are terrible for current events because by the time the book is written and published, the current event is yesterday. So with your books, I mean, look more to what you can learn about the past, learn about the history of our country and things like that. I don't read a lot of books anymore because, frankly, I just don't have the time. I spend most of my time reading news stories and reading bloggers' opinions. I also set up a little website that I use for my own personal use called Survivalist News, and all it really does is it feeds in feeds from forums, blogs, news stories, all different sources on a variety of topics. And there's a button on my website uh, that says Survivalist News. And if you click on that, you'll go to this little mini site. And there's about six categories, and you can pick the different ones and weed through them. And that'll save you running your own searches. And I, I use that to get a lot of data. The best source of information that I've found, though, honestly, has been forums. My forum and other forums. Zombie uh, Zombie Hunters Forum, uh, Hood's Woods, or was it Hoodlum's Forums uh, from, from Ron Hood, uh, the Survivalist Boards. 
Uh, there's a lot of them out there. I have a whole list of them on the website. You can go to the web, my website, thesurvivalpodcast.com. Click on Survival Forums, and you'll get a list of uh, forums. Backwoods Home, uh, there's a homesteading forum as well that I go to. And just by monitoring all that, what you're doing is you're harnessing the power of the Internet. And I know I talk a lot about traditional planting, traditional growing methods, traditional rifleman skills, traditional woodsman skills, and I talk about the way that it was 100 years ago and learning from that philosophy. But my belief is, is a modern survivalist, you marry that with, um, with, with modern technology, and what we have the ability to do today is instead of Jack Spirico having to find all this information, I'm able to use the collective intelligence of thousands and thousands of like-minded people to sort the data and get to what's most important to me. So the internet is really the vehicle by which I pull things in from news, blogs, forums, etc. So hopefully that answers your question, and I know it's not really like, you know, go out and read this book or read this magazine, but the reality is I might get something great out of Forbes today, and the next ten articles that come out of Forbes are complete crap, and I'm not going to subscribe to Forbes magazine for ten craps and one reality or one useful thing for my show and my listeners. So it's kind of up to you how you sort through that, but just know that it's collective intelligence that gives us power today. So that pretty much wraps up today's show. It probably went long. I have no idea how long today's show is. Uh, when I do them like this, I try to take as many calls as I can, because I know people wait a long time to get their uh, their questions answered. Uh, but please please call in, and if I don't answer your question right away, know that it's not gone off into the ether. Sooner or later, I'm going to get around to it. I'm trying to get to where I can do a show like this a week, and uh, when I do that, I'm going to need more calls, and that number is 866-65-THINK. Again, 866-65-THINK, and uh, that's because we encourage you to think for yourself, not do what you're told. What I want to close with is uh, is letting you guys know about what's going to go on today. What's pretty cool, the uh, Fort Worth Star Telegram people are going to come over to my house, and I'm not going to let them in the house, but we're going to go in the backyard. Uh, I'm going to interview with them about... Um, how to get started with emergency survival while so many people are doing it. They're going to take some video and some photography in my backyard, and I, I really don't know what else they're going to do. But this is something that I've been saying that we need to do is go on a PR campaign, and I'm going to try to lead that charge, folks. And I'd like your help with that. If there's anything that you can do that we can formalize, putting together kind of a good PR packet here at Survival Podcast, and where we can give exposure to... Uh, you know, a lot of you guys run your own blogs, and your blogs are level-headed, down-to-earth, realistic, great understanding and planning so what I'd like to do is like I don't just want to promote my show with this I want to like have all the good blogs all the good forums everything listed together and we'll kind of put that under the survival podcast umbrella of our PR packet so that every time that I'm making a media contact I'm exposing that media source not just to myself but to everybody else out there so anybody that has some experience with that type of thing if you'd like to get in touch with me please do and we'll see what we can do Uh, and with that we kind of wrap up today's show uh, again, this has been Jack Spirko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. All gets spent 